welcome to Imagine Amazing, Oregon HF May's informative podcast with its current president. Today I'm joined by our current president, Kelly Smith. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, Jeff. Hi. We want to acknowledge that we have all had significant changes to work, life, family, due to the COVID-19 health emergency. I agree, Jeff. It's been such an monumental event for us all and certainly changed our world dramatically. I was just reflecting that it's been just over a month since Oregon was called an emergency state. And when I think of how that affected all of us, I thought what a wonderful opportunity to use the podcast to bring us all together and welcome different organizations so we can hear how it's affected all of you. And it seems that on our last podcast, we were very excited about our upcoming Salishan event and having our May conference. And of course, that, that quickly changed under the circumstances. But it's really nice to, to have you all on the podcast today. And I'm, I'm anxious to hear from you and, and learn from you, too, about what this has done to you and your organization. So thank you so much uh, for, for willing to participate. We're doing a little, little different this time. Yes, very different this time. In fact, as we're recording this, we're all coming to you live, but from our unique locations. That's one of the wonderful outcomes from this COVID-19 is that we're definitely separated, Um, but we're excited to be able to use this technology and this platform to still connect and bring some great information to the listeners. So Kelly, I do see that you have a lot of wonderful guests joining us today. Do you want to go ahead and do some introductions? I would love to do that. So we have a great mix of attendees today. So I'd like to introduce those from Legacy first. And I'll go ahead and give you each just a few minutes to introduce yourselves, your, your name, your role, and your organization. And to help our listeners, if you can tell us a little bit about your organization. Where, where is your organization located uh, maybe if you have any information about the size that you'd like to share, that would be helpful, too. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. So from Legacy, we have Amanda on the line. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, we're happy to join today. Uh, Legacy Health is located in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington area. We have seven hospitals, including Unity Behavioral Health. Um, I oversee patient access, hospital financial counseling, customer service, and interpretive services. Great. Thanks, Amanda. And we also have Kim on the line. Hi, Kelly. This is Kim Carter. I am also part of Legacy Health and uh, work closely with Amanda and the Revenue Cycle team. And I oversee coding both on the hospital and the physician side, as well as charge capture and uh, front-end processes for all of our medical group in addition to all of HIM. It's great to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. And Ren. Oh, hi, um, this is Ren. I'm also worker at Legacy um, House with uh, Kim and Amanda. I'm the finance manager, um, support the largest uh, hospital at Legacy Emanuel Medical Center. Terrific, glad to have you, Ren. And from OHSU, we have Ken Mitchell on the line. Ken, would you like to introduce yourself? Good afternoon, everybody. I'm the manager for the Medicare and Medicaid billing for facility services at Oregon Health and Science University Hospital. I'm part of a team of uh, four other managers that uh, work in the uh, patient business office. Welcome. We'll be glad to have your input today, Ken. And from Saniam, we have Rachel and Melissa. Hi, this is Rachel Cedar from Saniam Hospital. We are in Staten, Oregon. We're a 40-bed hospital with 11 clinics. And I am the controller of the hospital, and with me is Melissa. 
Hi, I'm Melissa Bauer, and I'm the Service Integration Coordinator, um, Community Liaison for San Ian Hospital. Welcome, Melissa. From Asante, we have Erin on the line. Hi, thank you. Yes, I am Erin Coffey. I am from Asante in the beautiful southern Oregon, uh, which is probably about half an hour from the California border. I am the Director of Revenue Cycle Patient Access, and my team is, I oversee the uh, patient registration teams at all three of our hospitals, as well as our pre-service access functions, such as uh, patient financial education, financial clearance, referrals and authorization, and central scheduling. Wonderful. Good representation from across the state. Happy to have you, Erin. And then our business partner, so John, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, hey guys. Uh, my name is John Essa. I'm the Director of Strategy down with Evolve Business Solutions. Our main office is right down there in Aaron's neck of the woods uh, down in Medford. But I, uh, I work remotely up here in Portland. And uh, yeah, just a second time on the podcast. So I'm really excited to see how things have grown and evolved. Thanks well, for having me. Welcome yeah. back. Yeah, You're a pro now. <laughs> and Marty, there you are. Good afternoon. This is Marty Beanham. I'm the Regional Sales Director with Experian Health and happy to be a member of Oregon HFMA, helping out any way I can. So, Kelly, so I... Jeff, you can hear yeah. we have a really good representation that spans across revenue cycle, front end, back end, uh, billing, patient access, finance, and also I'm very happy to have some of our business partners on the line. So we should have some really good discussions today. I'm excited. This is a great group, and I know that there's huge brain power right here. So let's go ahead and enter into some of those questions or start those questions that you have, Kelly. What first came to mind was just very curious how your role changed. So it's just been a little over a month since it was declared a state of emergency, and I remember at OHSU things happened very quickly. It seemed like it was a normal day in the office, and we were hearing kind of rumblings that the COVID pandemic was becoming a bigger issue and something we should all take seriously. And I remember thinking, okay, well, good. Glad we have employees that are able to work from home and they can be safe. And I don't really think anything should change for me too much because I can just keep coming in. And then everything within the matter of, I think about three days rapidly changed and everybody was sent home and the hospital quickly moved into surge planning mode. And it, there really didn't feel like much time to prepare. And it happened so quickly that I sort of felt like I was in this state of, it, is this an emergency? Should I panic? Or is it not an emergency and I shouldn't panic? And I felt all those things at the same time, which made it kind of a conflict in my head about our circumstances. But what I would love to hear from all of you is, what does it mean for you? So at the time that it, Kate Brown, Governor Kate Brown, determined the state of emergency, how did that change your daily work? And so, Legacy, I, let's go ahead and, and ask you that question. And what were your initial thoughts? that. I can start. Um, Kim Carter, this is a, a, such an interesting question because um, it's even hard to remember those first early days. Mm -hmm. um, it, so much has happened in the last month at work. And um, I would say some key things 
number one, remote. We did not have our entire revenue cycle working remotely. We had um, HIM, some coders working remotely, but that was it. And within a week um, or a week and a half, we had most everybody uh, moved home. And so that was incredible. Wow. Um, wow. And so we just had a great partnership from our IT folks, and we were one of the first um organizations within legacy that, that moved fully remote and then the rest of it I would say my work has just been similar but more of everything um, more administrative deployment more providing support for the team more leadership um, all those things we talk about um, in HFMA that coordination internally and with our external partners um, and then just rapid process improvement. How about you, Amanda? Yeah, so um, I think um, for me personally, uh, I'm not used to working at home. I mean, I have, I have the capability, but I'm a people person. So for me, that was my biggest struggle. I wanna be in the office and, and see everybody. And also I have a lot of teams on the front line. So part of it was getting over kind of being guilty. I still do go in the office a day or two a week with the proper social distancing, of course. Um, but for the teams, so for the patient access teams, we, we um, wanted to really be able to um, keep them safe. And um, so we did some remote registration. So the team was still at the hospital, but for example, not going into the emergency department um, in the rooms, because for the customer service team, um, it's really exciting. We just kind of finished sending the, the majority of the team home and we didn't have the capability to do that previously. Um, and it's actually going really well and it's something the team wanted to do. So with the pressure, we were able to do it quickly where it would have probably taken a lot longer and maybe even been more than a year out for sending them home. Um, and the same thing with our hospital financial counseling team, we're trying to do as much remote work as possible. So um, I think just trying to remove people from the care setting and um, be flexible, but still be there for our patients. And uh, that's kind of all I have. Ren, did you have anything you'd like to add? Sure. Um, yeah, uh, my work changed. I should say probably two weeks before the governor announced the, the emergency stay, um, because the Emmanuel, our hospital emergency operations operation center, activated around mid of March. So ever since then, I started to work as the finance session chief from um, uh, the EOC function. So um, my focus is uh, shifting to more track expenses related to the COVID-19, working with our labor pool, working with our directors, managers, uh, um, in terms of cohorting our patients, understanding the uh, supplies needs, um, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, you, like uh, uh, Amanda mentioned, I for the first couple of weeks, I think, although we we are asked to stay home, but I work on the site. So I actually going back to the hospital every day. Now I stay home. Um, I feel a little bit anxious at the beginning because uh, uh, that's really a change for me. And I like to really um, that person to person contact, but um, but now I feel I settle into a very nice uh, um, kind of more efficient um, way to work from home. That's great. Thank you. How about you, Erin? Yeah, so, so for us, 
um, we we got a, a little jump start on it. Uh, things really felt uh, worrisome and maybe slightly chaotic, just to, as far as the realm of fear for the unknown. Uh, end of January, early of February. So by the time March came around, it wasn't so new anymore, and we had already internally. Uh, been able to figure out what we were going to do with our staff. Uh, it was extremely impressive uh, the rate at which we we're able to get some folks to work from home. So our pre-service access teams who have uh, worked in our call center, or our contact center, we were able to get them home uh, within a matter of days, and that was like over 80 people. Um, wow. So that was really That's impressive, it, and a lot of them didn't have the, the means um, to, to have the equipment. And so what our organization chose to do, which I found to be very, really amazing, uh, is they just gave them their workstations. Like we boxed up their computers and their monitors, put it in a box. Uh, I've had supervisors actually go into the homes to help our not technically savvy um, team members help hook it up. I mean, it was just really, really lovely to be able to do that. We did have a few people who um, asked if they could stay working at the contact center because their children were home. So I thought that was kind of funny. And fair enough, I totally can relate to that. Um, we did have a period of time where our emergency registrars uh, were very fearful um, and were concerned about their safety, uh, especially as we're looking at the very real risk of PPE and what was going on in the media. So. We, we worked um, and navigated through that. Uh, Asante has a tent outside of our ER doors to help navigate patients um, for, that are at respiratory risk in one direction. So that way we can keep our existing patients who are still entering our healthcare system, um, keep them safe, as well as our potential um, COVID uh, patients safe. So safety has been uh, very, like, top priority. It's very clear. Um, and so that's, that's pretty much uh, what's been happening at Asante. So now we're, we're at this really nice, uh, I, I don't want to say lull, but it, like we have, we have it figured out in, in patient access. On the back end is where the work is starting to, to tee up mm -hmm. with what, you know, how do we capture these charges? Because we, uh, our president made the announcement um, a couple weeks ago that we don't want our patients who are presenting for testing to receive a bill. And so now on the back end is where the work is really turning up and how do we accomplish that task. So that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. That's awesome. Ken, I'd like to give you a chance to talk about what changed most for you at work. Well, most of my team were already working from home, but I was just blown away by the speed at which uh, not only the remaining members of my team, but others in the office uh, were able to get transitioned to working from home. It was uh, incredible how fast mm -hmm. it occurred. And uh, everybody was very um, willing and uh, I think probably out of a little bit of fear, they were very willing to go home and work, work from there. So that made the transition um, much easier than I, than I expected it would. Uh, so it went very well, uh, and, I'm, and I was very pleased, grateful for the help of 
all the IT personnel who put in extra time and effort to make sure that the transition went smoothly. We had some staff who had some difficult circumstances in which they either didn't have internet at home or mm-hmm. it was very inadequate to figure out how to work around that and make it work and everybody's there and it's functioning. It was very impressive. That's great. That is great. Nice. How about Rachel, Sandy Ann? Hey, yeah, we had, um, within a week we got everyone who's non-clinical working from home. Also, it happened, yeah, it happened quickly. Um, when we seemed to kind of settle into it right away, which was nice. Um, in my job, personally, as controller, I switched from, um, you know, I was working on finishing up our financial statement audit, and I had to switch to gathering information on what we would need to be eligible for loans or grants. I had to start gathering that as soon as possible, keep track of expenses, um, mm-hmm. high school staff. Um, so my, that's how my work changed, switched dramatically. Well, I, I, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because I think if we talk to any of the CFOs out there, they probably saw or felt that same switch from a controller or accountant standpoint, um, looking for that money, right? But in a different way. Yes, it was how do we keep the cash flow going when um, a large portion of our revenue is from outpatient surgeries and our clinic volume dramatically changed too. So how do we keep um, doors open? Yeah, so amazing. Thanks for sharing that. That was, I'll say for OHSU, our biggest initiative right out of the gate was how do we make sure we're keeping patients safe? And that means keeping them out of the hospital if they don't need to be here and opening up the hospital to make capacity if they do need to be admitted. And we quickly transitioned into telehealth as, as I'm sure most of you did, but it was astounding how quickly we were able to get patients on the phone or on the video or communicating online. And you're right, Rachel, the impact of the hospital was immediate and very significant because all of a sudden we had no clinic volume and everything was virtual and all of that billing is through professional billing. And so the hospital dollars were uh, significantly impacted right away. And, and there's still desire to, to try and get reporting and data to show the amount of services that are being provided, but you have to look at it a different way. Look at visit data instead if you don't have charge data all of a sudden. Exactly. I'd love to hear too, John or, or Marty, what has it been like for your organizations? How has your work changed with this? Yeah, uh, so lots of the same things that you all are describing as far as really quickly trying to transition staff to a kind of a safe place. Um, and, and then, you know, what some of you all are saying as far as some staff still wanting to come into the office. Mm-hmm. Um so without re- repeating um, things that some folks have said, I'd say that one of the biggest changes for us is kind of, you know, not to be too touchy-feely, but just it's compassion and understanding that, um, you know, not, not only do we have employees, uh, and but, but patients also that are going through a pandemic personally, as opposed to just their focus being on how's my, how's my job going to happen. And so having that compassion mm-hmm. with staff members is they're learning what, what this new world can look like for them if they weren't already remote their kids, you know, were in school as well as, uh, you know, trying to have a little bit of that compassion, 
as, as we're working with patients to find the solutions, uh, you know, like you guys are suggesting to be sure that revenue continues going in to our uh, provider friends. But, uh, you know, they, they need they need just as much grace from us right now because they're, they're figuring out life first before they can think about some of the, the bills that they owe. Yeah, true. I think it was really nice for uh, for us from OHSU that the leadership immediately acknowledged the fact that this was an extraordinary circumstance, and that meant that people were working at home with kids in the house, their dogs in the house, and they said, hey, we expect to hear noise in the background. Don't worry about trying to mute your phones because we know that this is the situation. And I think that was really a way to allow us all the chance to kind of relax and still be able to contribute without any added unnecessary stress because everybody's understanding. So that was very nice. And I also appreciated the reminder of, hey, we're in this for probably a long haul. And so it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we need to take care of ourselves so we can get through it. Jeff, how about for you? How have things changed with Haas? Yeah, I, I love what everyone's saying. It's funny. Our roles definitely have changed. I find myself working on different things that I had people working on for me before. So, you know, we're, we're all digging in. We're doing things that we weren't previously doing. But I think that we've also had a period of time where we've been more innovative than we've ever been because we've been forced to mm-hmm. do it. And that just brings me a lot of joy. I think there were a lot of projects that were sitting out there that we kept saying, we'll get to. And now we've gotten, we've gotten to them. And so there have been a lot of, I would call them blessings that have come out of this as well. And just a lot of confidence, like everyone's saying, we know that we can do it now. We knew that we could step away quickly and make that change and adjust. It also just proves to me how resilient we are as a people to continue to accomplish the things that we need to do and how quickly we adjust. You know, I was curious, and as Marty works on his piece, we'll get back to him here in a second. Uh, everyone's been talking about all the changes. That was a great question. And we also see in the news, Kelly, uh, all this lost revenue that everyone's talking about, especially in healthcare. And how do you keep your doors open? And at the same time, you're almost, I know from a consumer of healthcare, I don't even know if I can go into the hospital. I don't even know if I can go to my doctor because I'm confused. It's the honest truth. If I were sick today, I wouldn't I think I would try to stay at home just because I've been told I'm supposed to. So how is that impacting? And, and is there a better message even for the patients on how they can engage with healthcare? Well, this is I think it's Kim you. from uh, Legacy. I can, sorry, Kelly, I'm chiming in. Um, we really would say, and I, I've seen it mes- messaged really well, actually, from my son's pediatrician, but I think if you go to the legacy site as well, there's a lot of encouragement to call your doctor, reach out um, by phone or by the patient portal, and you can set up a video visit or a telephone visit, and that would be the first thing to do almost no matter what to determine then if you really need to come in and be seen and have that physical exam or is it something that can be taken care of through virtual or telehealth okay that's great feedback what about maybe it's more a selective thing so i have a mole that i need looked at but it's bothering me is that something that just needs to sit on the back back burner for a patient, or is that something they can still go to 
a dermatologist and be seen? I think it depends on the provider. And uh, again, this is Kim and, and you would need to make that phone call okay. if you haven't received um, direct communication already from, from your provider about what the specific plan would be. I make the phone call. And um, in most cases, there's going to be at least someone who can guide you on next steps. And then, of course, if there's some sort of emergency, um, you know, 911 is still the right number to call as well. Uh, one of our best friends is in that first responder, firefighter line of work, and they're out there taking care of folks. Um, no hesitation there. Oh, that's good to see. That's great. Um, this is, oh, can I chime in? I'm sorry. This yeah. is Erin um, from Asante. So we don't have a dermatology clinic, but we do have a community clinic, uh, the Clinic for Dermatology in our community. And they're doing something really, really cool. Um, they're sending like regular email notices to their existing patients. And they're also putting similar advertisements on their webpage and on Facebook saying, uh, you know, as of now, we are still stopped to handle certain things. If you have these concerns, this is the route to take. So it's really neat to see them leverage that form of communication to our community um, when they do have those, like, hey, I just, since I have all the time on my hands, I've noticed I have molds. Um, this is the right time to call in, or uh, it, it's really nice to see that level of advice in that platform. So we do have other community providers reaching out to patients um, anticipating those needs, which is really great to see. Another thing I'm really interested in is, you know, the initial projections that we had for how quickly this could hit us were very scary. And we were expecting that by April 11th, OHSU surge would hit. And it didn't for us. And quite frankly, we're very pleased to know that our numbers that we're experiencing are even lower than the lowest positive projection we had. And so the good wow. good time to be an Oregonian. I'm really proud of Oregon for adhering to the stay at home. I think it certainly has helped us flatten the curve. What have other hospitals seen? Are you seeing similar trends or has anybody had any any sense of a surge up to this point? This is Erin again from Asante. Uh, we've actually experienced the same thing you described uh, two weeks ago. We were expecting our surge to hit us uh, now, actually April 15th, uh, and we're just not seeing that, that our reality that turned out to be that, which is great. Uh, our community has taken um, the guidance from the CDC very seriously, and uh, our community has really reached out to help support us um, as far as helping to create um, this fabric map. Uh, we've got tons of donations from uh, restaurants where they stop the house to come to work and to provide food. So uh, there's there's nobody on the street. There's not many people um, even in the grocery store, which is really great to see. So we've taken this very seriously, and um, it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like we're seeing that um, with uh, low volumes in our ED and with our potential COVID patients. So this is Amanda. Oh, Sandy Ann. Okay. So oh, yeah, go ahead, Amanda. Sorry, Kelly. Um, so anyhow, yeah, at Legacy, we're we're seeing the same thing. Um, we are kind of looking at some other um, metrics 
um, where it says maybe we might be looking at like an April 26th spike. But um, what we're seeing is um, kind of it's been really pretty average and even our regular ED volumes have been really low. So I'm not sure if others are seeing that as well. Um, so honestly, for kind of a frontline staff, um, it's the most challenging thing is trying to determine the appropriate staffing um, and that type of thing, because we were expecting, you know, a surge. And I agree, you know, we're thrilled that that didn't happen, but kind of adjusting to that new norm and then trying to determine what, you know, what might be coming on the other side of things as far as, you know, um, kind of when we ramp back up and start you know, being able to do elective services again, and what does that look like? And so we're starting to, we're, we're kind of still in the mode of uh, planning for the worst, hoping for the best, but we don't think, you know, at this point, it, it's probably unlikely um, that we're going to have a, a huge surge um, and what that's going to look like uh, post-COVID. Rachel from Sunnyam, and we have not, we have a few patients, but definitely not see the surge yet. really curious. We are a HFMA's healthcare financial management. We have a lot of people listening that reside in that financial management arena. And for our listeners, what do you think it's going to take for us to get back to a healthy state financially for the healthcare systems? Ken, I know from OHSU, what, do you have any thoughts on that? I can also weigh in. So I've done a little bit of a thinking about this, and I think hospitals are going to have to um, kind of set up like a two-track operation where people who are at least not known to have a COVID condition or an emergency condition are handled through one flow in the system and kind of kept separate in hospital space and from where COVID patients are, are taken. So by different personnel, different locations, I think it's probably going to have to be separate for a while and trying to figure out a way to do that is going to be very challenging. That's kind of what I think is going to happen, have to happen. I think that's a really good point, Ken, and it speaks also to what you were saying, Jeff, about patients wanting to feel safe going into a hospital. And if they know that hospitals are being thoughtful about separating out our patient types and having, so to speak, clean space for patients who are not positive, separate from space where we are prepared to treat those that are positive, it is going to be important to allowing people to feel safe to come back into our system. I like point. that. Yeah, I like that. What about... You know, I would guess... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Ken. I would guess that that will include, you know, testing that will need to be done before the patient comes for service mm-hmm. or, you know, they may be sent to the laboratory. They may get a test to see if they have COVID or if they've had it. Uh, with an antibody test. So different kinds of ways to separate out individuals that are at risk and those who uh, maybe aren't. I would love that. I think that would be fantastic. What will it take for for healthcare to get back to being financially stable? We're seeing organizations across the United States closing their doors 
doing furloughs, um, it, it feels to the consumer of healthcare that we're losing our options of where we can go and actually receive treatment. So what do you, what do you think it's going to take? Or how long do you think it will actually be before we get back there? That's probably a better question. Um, Jeff, so this is Amanda from Legacy. And I think it's going to take a really long time. And it's going to be really dependent upon if we do see a resurgence next fall and winter time, if this is truly seasonal, like some people are predicting. Um, I think the other thing that's imperative um, for organizations, which um, I'm sure many of us have, is a really excellent finance team that is savvy on all of the funding that's out there. So looking at grants that aren't, you know, we don't need to pay back. There's also the CARES Act where we can get accelerated payments from Medicare, um, CMS, um, and looking at what other what other things that we can leverage. And I think people or organizations that were in a good position prior to the crisis are going to fare much better than folks that were not. And so I think that that there is going to be a new normal as well and looking at how we can do things uh, safely, of course, but more efficiently. Um, but I, w- I would say it's gonna take years to recover from this. Um, I know I was on a call earlier this week and, and people were talking about you know the volumes being lost through electives and this other organization um, was in another state and they said their volumes were down about 40% from electives, which is probably pretty um, typical for what we would see here as well as not being able to do electives. And so you're losing 40% of your business now, but when things are reopened um, and we have you know, the ability to do everything, um, it's not that you're going to be right at 140% right away. And so you might not even be at 100% right away and the new normal might not be 100%, but you know, even have to look at who has lost their job and what funding they have and those types of things. So I think it's really complex, but I think that it's going, it, you know, it's not going to be a three or six month thing. It's going to, I think, take years to fully recover from this. And then again, depends on what the future holds. Good points. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is Ren. I agree with Amanda. It will take a while. I think the business is uh, definitely not as usual anymore. Um, I can only speak uh, at, for the hospital I support, I work. Um, I know from um, the beginning to now um, of this pandemic uh, um, uh, stuff and our inpatient census down close to 30%. And majority of those, uh, um, of course, related to the uh, canceled elective cases and um, our ED down um, close to 40%. So um, I think at this point, we also experienced unprecedented uh, low volume and also the surplus labor. So we, we are working um, now trying to uh, see how we can really uh, effectively use our surplus labor and um, gradually back to the flexible. Kelly from OHSU, for OHSU, another one of the things we've had to be able to do is redirect efforts to make sure that we were aware of what other opportunities are there for us to capture charges. So we want to make sure that even if we've changed our platform and we're now delivering so much more telehealth services, where can we bill for the services? Because providers are still seeing patients, patients are still getting care, 
and we have that opportunity. That's been probably one of our biggest challenges and trying to figure out how to meet the payer requirements. The CMS, I think, has actually done a pretty good job at coming out and saying, yes, we want to allow more providers to see patients through the telehealth option. And there are billable charges for that. And we've just been trying to navigate, is it a professional charge? Is there any associated facility charge? I think we were quite pleased to see that, that CMS is recognizing that the hospitals are not able to recover anything for these services, so they're willing to pay us as if it had been done in the office. So hopefully that will help with a little bit. But again, our volumes that we're seeing in office are so small now that I agree with Amanda, it's going to take years to recover from this. Great feedback. And I agree. I, I think that's what the trend is looking at. And we have a tendency to think that the pandemic's over or we hear that announcement. But financially, it's not over, is it? I think that's something that we're going to have to continue to watch and be creative and come up with new ideas to help each other. That's my personal opinion anyway. I'd love to hear from you all. What has been your biggest challenge in all of this? Our biggest challenge was um, keeping... Um, personally, and keeping connected well, working remotely with my staff. But um, one of the things we did, and kind of speaking to the last uh, point about what are um, what are we going to do to keep patients feeling okay to come back into the, the system, is that we quickly um, used one of a, we had a clinic that wasn't being utilized by a physician group, and um, we moved our we made a respiratory clinic and had a um, physician and a, t- a team there that, to treat people who had any kind of respiratory symptoms to be seen there instead of the other clinics so people could go there and, and hopefully other patients would feel like that the other clinics were, um, they weren't going to be sitting next to a patient who had COVID symptoms. They were being seen elsewhere in a separate clinic. And then um, one of the challenge we had in the ER was separating out um, you know, ER patients with current symptoms and keeping patients um, who didn't have symptoms for COVID um, feeling safe. So we built a little um, triage room. It could be um, seen in there. And our ER is pretty small, so we, um, we kind of just made it out of out of a corner. Um, so people could be seen there as well. So those were completed, and those are going well. We And um, we have a COVID hotline patients can call and kind of um, talk with the physician about their symptoms. Anybody having challenges trying to figure out how to prevent balanced billing patients for COVID-related services? (laughs) Great question. Yes. (laughs) This is Kim again, and it's... It's really easy to get on board with, you know, wanting to do that. And where it gets tricky is catching every single case. Um, I think it's pretty easy to catch the ones who are getting tested. But a lot of folks, um, especially early on, had symptoms or concerns and came in or called their provider and were seen, but didn't really qualify for a test because the symptoms were very mild 
And um, the provider may have said it's possible, but um, at this point, what you might want to do is um, just you know, quarantine, make sure to stay home. And then here's when you need to call back if things get more serious. And so um, those, from a coding perspective, ICD-10 doesn't really um, have the perfect code for that to say, um, yeah, this is a COVID-related case. But um, we are we are combing back through all of our services through the month of March with a fine-tooth comb. Um, our, our hospital coding team is looking through um, 18,000 cases once more that were not um, didn't have a COVID-related code on them just to make sure we didn't miss anybody because the last thing we want to have happen is that somebody uh, gets a, a bill when, of course, they're hearing on the news and, and everywhere else that they shouldn't they shouldn't be for that sharing of a concern and, and um, seeing if they need to get tested. So it is challenging, but, I mean, it's the right thing to do. So we're, we're figuring out how to get it done. And then going forward, I think we have ways to to catch those um, in April and beyond. That's great, Kim. I know that in some of the areas, and I'm sure you can relate, staff actually, their workload is lifted quite a bit because we aren't having the patient volumes. And so wherever you can use staff creatively that can still impact patient care and revenue is what our hospitals need right now. What, what have others found? Have you had staff that have been light on work and have you been able to other ways to repurpose them? Yes, this is Erin um, Asante. We've been doing a lot of cross-training, which is great. Uh, we're giving some of our pre-service access teams who uh, traditionally focus on elective outpatient procedures, given that that volume is down, they're looking for work. So we are reallocating them. We're giving them opportunities to learn business office functions with claim, uh, following up on claims and some of uh, those things that we just haven't been able to get to because of the high volume but low dollar amount. Uh, we've also reallocated several of our staff to support a hotline. And we also have, um, we supported, uh, some of our hospitals have what I call the ungreeters, where we have people, volunteers at the, the entrances of our hospital stopping people as they're entering and asking them a series of questions and giving them masks and in some cases taking temperatures. So we have deployed and reallocated and thought creatively, how can we still help um, our patients and our staff in different ways and performing a little bit outside their scope but giving them some good skills uh, that's interesting and very needed. Uh, very needed. Uh, for this time. Uh, this is Ren at Legacy. We're also doing the very similar thing. We um, uh, deployed the um, employees to work as a screener at the uh, different entrance point, doing the uh, mask fitting and uh, temperature taken. Um, deploy employees to do like helping hands uh, to do the cleaning, uh, supply stocking. Um, we're also doing uh, the cross-train in terms of um, the, we call it a nurse extender program to train the master nurse to um, work in the different uh, specialty unit and also the, um, the um, ORs, uh, RNs uh, to help uh, um, if in, in case it's needed, help with the, the critical care. 
patient, uh, critical care, uh, critical patient care, um, stuff like that. I'm also curious from our, our vendor partners on the line, has your team's work slowed down at all? And are you finding new ways to use your, your staff to help support your customers? Um, yeah, as far as for Evolve, the work hasn't slowed down. Um, and I think that the amount of work hasn't slowed down, but then, you know, kind of like we were all alluding to before, understanding that some people's bandwidth has maybe shrunk because of the attention they're having to pay at home to kids or, you know, finding a, a quiet workspace to be able to do work. Um, there, there have been a few people uh, in our organization that have shouldered kind of a heavier load to, to offset some folks that are just not, again, the bandwidth just a little bit down. But, you know, hearing everything that you guys are talking about, not surprising to me at all, because I, I think that one of the things um, that, that was difficult for us anyways at the very beginning was figuring out what our partners were going to, what they were going to be willing to ask us to continue doing on, on their behalf because of um, either legally what's coming down or Kelly, as you had mentioned, the, the fact that as an organization, you recognize that, um, you know, that's not the first thing on everyone's mind that they, these are unique circumstances. And so, uh, yeah, we were waiting a little bit to see what our partners told us was we'd be allowed to do on their behalf and then legally what what was going to change well i have a question of you kelly and i think even um our participants today and everyone listening will want to know what is the future of oregon hfma with this pandemic what can the members expect other than receiving podcasts and information through the digital channels like we're doing now what is the future can you fill us in Yes, I can. And I think it's always evolving, of course. I mentioned we were very sad to have to cancel our in-person conference in May, but we do plan to hold the conference in July in Bend and postpone our celebrations and installments of our new officers and volunteers in July. So hopefully that will be able to happen and we'll look forward to it. In the meantime, we are trying to make sure we're taking advantage of other options to still bring education and support to our members. So this podcast being one of them, I think, is a great vehicle for sharing information. And I also know that we're working on bringing forward a couple of extra webinars that will be made available to our members so they can listen in. And always very happy to hear from our members what types of things would be really helpful for organizations to learn about. So if there's topics specifically that you'd like us to cover, then we'd be happy to bring that forward. But I think on today's call, you helped me think of a few ideas because I really do think that where is there revenue opportunity that's new throughout this COVID pandemic that we need to be thinking about? What are ways that finances can be recovered? And what are ways that hospitals are looking for additional funds that may be what are we doing to make sure that we're not balance billing patients for services? What are some of the things that we have implemented for this time that we're going to have to unimplement after we're all done? And how do we organize our thoughts there? As well as how long do we think this is going to go on for hospitals and what can we do to, to survive in the long term? I know that I'm excited to see where the future leads us. I can't wait to get together again with all the amazing people at Oregon HFMA. And for anyone listening who's interested 
in reaching out to anyone who's been on this podcast, feel free to go to OregonHFMA.org. Again, that is www.OregonHFMA.org. And go under the member section or leadership section. You'll be able to get the emails of almost everyone who's been on this podcast today. Additionally, in regards to the July conference, again, another great resource for anyone listening is to go to OregonHFMA.org and just find out the status of those conferences, when they're happening, and of course, other ways that you can get involved and get that information. Anything else, Kelly, you'd like to say? You know, a, a big thank you to all of you for participating today and trying something new that we've done. I think this was really wonderful. Thank you for listening. This episode and previous episodes of Oregon HFMA's podcast, Imagine Amazing, are available and streaming on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. So please visit us, like us, listen, and share. This episode of Imagine Amazing is brought to you by Oregon HFMA and its wonderful sponsors. To learn more, please visit OregonHFMA.org.